Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master, with a gleaming helmet and 15 seconds to comply. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen. And waiting to have my niggles relieved, I am Ash Versus. (laughs) This episode aired on the 17th of December, 1992. Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, is still number one at the top of the charts and will be here for a while. But we've got a new film at the top of the box office. It's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Because they couldn't call it Back to the Well. (laughs) Of all the familiar sounds of Christmas, surely this one is the most beloved. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. My family's in Florida and I'm in New York. Funnily enough, we never lose our luggage. (laughs) Once again, the family that loves staying together. Can I help you? Reservation for McAllister? Couldn't be further apart. He's in New York. New York? This is a vacation. Only two things could ruin this vacation. And they just hit town. Hiya, pal. I try and watch Home Alone 2 every Christmas. Because I I love a Christmas movie. Absolutely love Christmas movies. In my house, my wife calls me Captain Christmas. Because I f***ing love Christmas absolutely adore it i love everything around christmas and i particularly like watching christmas movies and we have a, a dvd collection that we bust out every year that's got all the christmas movies that we like to watch over the period and every single year i try and watch home alone too usually after i've just finished the first home alone and every single year i say to myself it's just not as good and it's uh it's just, and oftentimes i don't think it's a particularly good movie at all essentially they went back they made a sequel and they did kind of just 
redo the first movie, but Kevin had more places to go. Because, of course, the whole cast are back. Chris Columbus is back as director, written and produced by John Hughes. But they move it to New York, and Kevin gets to run around the city so nice they named it twice. And they kind of decide to preempt the Fast and the Furious by just going more Homer, more Alona. They just <laughs> amplify it up. But there's an issue that comes with that in the previously the traps and the pranks that he plays on the wet bandits there's a name that hasn't aged well are now fatal or should be yeah there's at least three japes that should result in instant death or permanent paralysis at one point you do see daniel stern turn into a skeleton like he he does murder the he, the sticky bandits as they are in the second one he absolutely murders them sticky bandits isn't any better either <laughs> no, it's, it's actually worse it's um and it sounds very very silly to uh, say this as a complaint against a movie that's called home alone lost in new york but it does come awfully contrived in its final act where they realize well what people really liked about the first one was all the traps around the house but we haven't put him in a house so oh, it turns out he's got an abandoned house that he can go to and that's where he goes and sets up all the traps. The third act doesn't feel like it's from the same movie. Honestly, they should have doubled down and just had him do the entire third act in the hotel. Found a conceit to get the hotel evacuated. Yes. And then had him just basically turn it into The Shining, you know, (laughs) or Motel Hell. Have him just go bonkers with the corridors. If you're gonna almost murder the burglars, do it in a way that's spectacular. And hey, if you can take out the hotel owner, bonus. <laughs> and do you know what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And do you know what? There's one thing that really bugs me about the movie. The, the gift that Kevin gets are the two little turtle dove things. And the idea is that you have one of these turtle doves and you give the other turtle dove to a special person so that even though you're apart, you are always together right and this is a movie that is predicated on the fact he is constantly separated from his mother so he gives it to the stranger in the park dude it's right there you give it to the mum. that's the emotional hook they've been separated twice maybe he just doesn't invest that much in his mother anymore because he's like seriously twice now (laughs) come on (laughs) stranger in the park more chance of me staying with them. Uh, so yeah, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. I mean, it's it's the least shit of the Home Alone sequels. That's a low, <laughs> low bar. <laughs> but there were a couple of things that came out of it, one of which is the Plaza Hotel actually started selling Home Alone nights. They cost over $1,000, and for that you would get to stay in the Kevin Suite, and you got like a replica backpack, all the movies on VHS. You got the oh. massive ice cream sundae trolley. Oh, what? And we lined someone's pockets with that. <laughs> well, that sounds like a Patreon goal if ever there was one. <laughs> yeah, if they're still doing it, we too could go to New York and get the Kevin experience, which I imagine would also involve running up a huge bill he has no way of paying and getting chased by two inept burglars. Yeah. New York, what a town. (laughs) Now, there were a couple of iconic props and moments that came out of Home Alone 2, one of which was the doves. The doves were sold for years afterwards. They were out there and being sold as something that people could own. But the other one was the Talk Boy, which was conceived 
for the movie as a prop and it proved so popular or it was just kind of setting off the marketing drones alarms that Tiger Electronics, yes, the guys behind those crappy LCD games, designed and built. Now you can be as clever as Kevin with Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder. Hey, stop drooling on me. Hey, stop drooling on me. It even has speed control. Hi, kids. We're home early. Hi, kids. We're home early. Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Battery's not included. I mean, you've got to think, like, Tiger, when they were approached by John Hughes and 20th Century Fox to make this thing, that they were like, jackpots. Because there's absolutely no way that this movie isn't going to be the number one movie of the Christmas period. Kids are going to want to have the talk boy that Kevin uses to foil the grown-ups. You say that, but in the holiday season of 1992, it only sold moderately well. It also didn't include the variable speed voice changer that mm. featured in the film that in fact yeah, was yeah. kind of one of the points of the entire goddamn toy in the movie. But then in the beginning of the second quarter of 93, Tiger released the Deluxe model which added the voice changing feature. And then in July, when Home Alone 2 was released on video, that's when interest peaked. Totally. Retailers hadn't expected this and it became one of the most highly sought after toys as we went into the 1993 holiday shopping season. Nice. So a year's delay, but... It got there, man. And it is a great looking little piece of kit because you know what? It looks like a prop. Yeah. And they kept marketing things under the Talkboy line right up until 1999. They abandoned the trademark for it there. So for what started as a MacGuffin for a film, became a legitimate product, did okay, and then skyrocketed a year later. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, I'd also recommend everyone go and check out the the Movies That Made Us, which is made by the same people that did The Toys That Made Us, uh, because they have an episode in their first series of that on Netflix on the first Home Alone. That is, like, it's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know, i.e. that house, the interiors are not real. They were self-built in a school gymnasium. They basically just built a house to use. Like, the exteriors are of a real house. But all the interiors were, yeah, it's in a gym. There weren't many points in the original Home Alone when I was watching the action going... This is clearly a set. They did an extraordinary job. Particularly, and this is a genius move, when they're flooding the basement, they did that bit in a pool. They just built the the sort of the you know the floor above it, above the pool, and you just go down where you can easily flood something. What a genius little move. Very, very smart filmmaking. And indeed Chris Columbus would continue with the smart filmmaking. 93 would see Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm sure we're going to encounter that at some point. Mm -hmm. And he went on to do the first two Harry Potter movies. Yeah, and Pixels. And the first two Harry Potter movies. (laughs) Uh, New releases, Art of Fighting, uh, it gets a release, as well as Kirby's Dreamland for the Game Boy. Uh, I don't think I've ever played Kirby's Dreamland on the Game Boy. I do like the NES Kirby game, though. I got that on the Wii Virtual Console um, many, many moons later, obviously, uh, which is really, really fun. I did play Kirby's Dreamland on the Game Boy, and I remember really liking the game, but also feeling a little bit embarrassed playing it because Hmm. it did feel at the time, I was starting to get a little bit edgy as a teenager, (laughs) 
and I was getting more into my shoot 'em ups and I wanted my games to be slightly grittier. And then there's Kirby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, welcome to the resort. It's that 6.30 Thursday time again, and we've coaxed the campers out of their cabins for another offshore onslaught of Gamesmaster. So sit yourself down, put your feet up, peel that favourite clementine, and listen to Gamesmaster's first challenge. It's that 6.30 Thursday... That's hard to say. It's that 6.30 Thursday time again. Crikey, Dominic's very good at his job, and I'm very bad at mine. Um, peel your favourite clementine. It's time for Gamesmaster. I see the air horns back again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a rowdy old crowd again this week. Early time of the day uh, they were recording this one. Yeah, Dominic says they coaxed the campers out of their cabins, and I'm like, did they really need coaxing? <laughs> it sounds like you were more having to keep them in. So yeah, let's peel that favourite Clementine and find out what our first challenge is from Gamesmaster. Good evening, and welcome to the Games Week. The evening's first foray is on a game called Humans. You have one minute, 30 seconds, to organize a group of very primitive cavemen to rescue a baby dinosaur stranded on the clifftop. To do this, you will need to assign them with special functions so they can reach the bottom of the cliff, then form a human ladder. It's on with the thinking, Captain, this one. Best of luck. So we're playing the humans. You've got to rescue the baby dinosaur. One of the humans is apparently called Marky Mark by the editing team. I can only assume this is because Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg, when he was with his funky bunch, uh, he did like taking his shirt off. And this human was kind of doing the strongman pose with massive pectorals on display. Yeah. So this joke was purely there for the editorial team and no one else absolutely no one else so the humans very much in that same vein as lemmings it's a nice little puzzle game uh i never played it but it got great reviews when it came out depending on pla which platform you got it on it got really really good reviews i think the amiga and pc versions were very well received yeah and it made the journey to a number of different platforms the genesis version was out there and got a fair amount of praise and it even got ported in the future to the atari jaguar wow wow Really? I can't see why that console failed when it was porting <laughs> new top-tier games like The Humans. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for Atari Jaguar's Pong. Now, this is a somewhat intricate challenge, so we've brought in the Managing Director of Commodore UK. Please welcome Kelly Sumner. Now, Kelly, the question on everybody's lips must be, do you get all these games for nothing? No. You don't? <laughs> do, you, do you play any of the games at all? Nope. Are we going to see evidence of that tonight? Yes. <laughs> if you'd like to take your place, Kelly, we'll get ready to start. And for this intricate challenge, we've got the managing director of Commodore UK. Now, I originally wrote in my uh, notes here, the marketing manager, but I think that's actually Dave Perry. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. Uh, but from the, <laughs> the managing director of Commodore UK, Kelly Sumner. What an interesting choice to choose for this challenge a literal boardroom suit. And I'll be honest, when he first appeared, I thought, oh, wow, this is what he gets for all the Amiga stuff they've had because they featured the Amiga a lot over the past couple of seasons. It's been a mainstay and will continue to be for a little while longer. But I kind of like this guy. He is yeah. a suit, but he's a suit with a sense of humour and he knows how he comes across. And so his banter back and forth with Dominic is pretty damn good. 
you know, we've spoken to a few people now who've worked on this show. And the one sort of common thread that we have found through this, particularly with people like Doug Johns, is that they've come from the magazine world previously on magazines that would have covered Commodore games and, and the like. So the connections that Games Master would have had to these people probably would have been fairly long standing. So they would have just got on the phone and be like, Do you know what? Kelly's really funny. I think he'd be a great contestant to have on Games Master to play a Commodore game. And he's totally up for it. You know, he says there, I don't get the games for free. I, I don't play the games either. And we'll see an example of that tonight. Oh, he was being a little bit of a fibber there, but we'll get to that. But a little <laughs> bit about Kelly, because obviously he's here representing the Commodore brand. But boy, howdy, he has had a career. Because after this... He goes on and he joins Game Tech. They developed games for Nintendo and Sega. He became CEO. He then merged them into Take Two. Oh, Take Two Interactive. And he then invested in the creation of Rockstar Games. Wow. Without him, there would be no Grand Theft Auto. That is quite the career path, isn't it? Doesn't stop there. After Take Two, he became CEO of a company called Red Octane. He helped make red octane and guitar hero become the massive franchise it was he also then sold it to activision in 2006 at which point he can go jump in a lake because (laughs) that is what i consider killed the music game industry completely it is yeah like what a what a fleeting little moment of time that was when like guitar hero and rock band were like the must-have items and it just it was a proper flash in the pan It was a flash in the pan. And now, full disclosure, I say this as someone that co-runs a Rock Band-based event. We're still going. And Mm. we're still using Rock Band 3 and Rock Band 4. And there is still new content coming out for Rock Band 4. The platform is solid. The game is solid. People still enjoy it. The issue came that they released too much too quickly, particularly Guitar Hero, because we went from having core Guitar Hero titles to suddenly we had Guitar Hero 80s, we had Band Hero, we had Party Hero, we had Guitar Hero Metallica, we had Aerosmith, Guitar Hero Aerosmith, Guitar Hero Van Halen. Yeah. They missed what Harmonix with Rock Band did get the hang of, which is you either release the extra songs as downloadable packs, or if you're going to release them on the disc make sure they tie into the main game. There was only one rock band title that didn't add itself to the main platform, and that was the Beatles. And to be fair, the Beatles get to stand alone because it was a quite different type of game. I am still angry that that industry died because Activision. And it's a real shame because I was so, so into those games massively like I, I mean i was at university when the first one came out so, and i was working at a game station so yeah you bet your bottom dollar that those lunch breaks and even just during the work hours were us passing that guitar back and forth playing through all the songs and trying to get as good as we possibly could on all of them guitar hero won through the rest of them we played the bloody lot of them and i, I absolutely loved it and helping me evolve tonight is game zone's jeremy daldry welcome jeremy how are you doing dominic i'm very well. Now, Jeremy, obviously Kelly's not a big games player. He's got a lovely suit, though. Will that help him tonight, or do you have any other tips? Well, the suit may actually hinder him in the long run, Dominic, but I think that he's got his work cut out for him tonight as a non-games player. Okay, so Kelly has one and a half minutes to rescue the baby dinosaur by getting up to it and uh, giving it a little bit of a touch. So, Kelly, are you ready? No. 
Okay. Well, you still have to start now. So helping Dominic Diamond evolve, Jeremy Doldry is in the booth with him. Now, Dominic says that Kelly has got a very nice suit, but will that help or hinder him? And Jeremy thinks it might hinder him a little bit. I mean, you're not going to get your full range of movements in your limbs because suits, they can restrict. And I said this last week, and why I'm not the biggest fan of Keith Pullen, who is, you know, sort of like our co-commentator for the, all the Street Fighter stuff. This is why I like Jeremy. Jeremy gets this show. Jeremy gets what we're doing here. I like Jeremy. So noted. No, he does. He's great on this. He's having a bit of a laugh. And the great thing is you can tell Kelly is in earshot because after the comment about the suit, you can see Kelly laughing. Yeah. These guys are having fun. I don't care if this is a bit of corporate backhander just to make sure they continue to get the Amiga hardware for the foreseeable. This is nice. I like it. Yeah, I really like it. So yeah, his challenge is to reach the dinosaur and give him a little touch. He's only got 90 seconds to do it. And this is what I will say about humans. It is a slow moving game and that ramps up the tension when you're against the clock. It does indeed, especially when you spend the first five, 10 seconds kind of flitting around the screen. <laughs> yeah. This is a very tight challenge. Literally the tightest of challenges. And I'll get into that a bit more as we get further along in it. But this dude knew what he was doing. He was well rehearsed. Yeah, he plays the role of like, oh, I don't really play the games. But even if he doesn't play the games, he certainly knows exactly what he needs to do on this level in order to beat it. And, that, and that's a good thing as well. Like, I mean, at one point, Jeremy says that he's taking the longest route. But even though, like, he definitely knows what route he does need to take. And, you know, with 35 seconds to go, he's only got to get one more human in the ladder. And then it really gets down to the absolute wire. And when I say the absolute wire, the clock hits zero. Like the screen comes up and says you have completed level one, but it does feel like a good second goes past between that clock hitting zero and that thing coming up on screen. I confess, when I watched this, I thought we've got a bit of Hollywood time shenanigans going on here. You know, when the bomb's counting down and you've got 10 seconds and that 10 seconds is three minutes. Mm -hmm. So on my last watch through, I got my phone out. <gasps> and I timed the last 10 seconds. <gasps> no. It was 10 seconds. What? Okay, wow. Sucker. No, it really <laughs> was. It was 10 seconds, and he did get it at zero, 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 zero. Wow. But he did it. There were no shenanigans. The only thing I might say is that maybe the clock itself was inaccurate. Not my mm. phone, but the video clock on screen. Yeah. The other thing that gave away really how prepared he was is he just flitted to humans that we'd previously never seen on the screen, <laughs> but he knew were there. Yeah. But it was great. This was tense. It was fun. They could have gone either way. They could have said, oh, you got it just at the post, or they could have said zero, zero. No, you're done. I'm glad they went with the happy ending, so to speak, yeah. diamondism, <laughs> because I don't think we've ever had a tighter challenge. I don't think it will be possible for us to get a tighter challenge how much tighter can you get than zero 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 oh, now now kelly you said you weren't much of a games player <laughs> but i'll tell you that was that was very very close in the end was there ever any point when you thought you'd go home with egg on your chin all of it all of absolutely it. yeah any particular points where you were coming unstuck i think the rope was the most difficult definitely was it length uh well they say they have a problem with length but it was getting it down actually <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now, is there any similarities between uh, the half which you were controlling tonight and uh, some of your staff? Uh, probably the hairstyles are pretty similar, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's Rich coming from you, guys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't have to go home with egg on his chin. He said the rope was hard, but it wasn't a problem with the length. It was getting it down. He knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Dominic is reduced to giggles at this point. He struggled through this next link. It's that one we were talking about the other episode when you can tell you've really tickled Dominic Diamond and he goes into his little <laughs> What a lovely challenge to start things off with. On paper, it didn't sound like this was going to be the most high tension of challenges. But in reality, it kind of was. And it was fun. Yeah. Totally was. So Commodore has got a brand new possession in the form of the Games Master Golden Joystick. And he says that Kelly is now off to put on some fake hair. I tell you what, love Dominic to bits. I think commenting on someone else's hairline is really throwing rocks in a glass house. <laughs> Continue where he ends up by Series 7. Got to admire the man now, though. He's rocking a ponytail. And I do appreciate that for reasons. <laughs> As you get ready for the large portion of blockbuster movies penetrating your lounges next week, we take a look at movie tie-in. Well, here is a review-zoned theme that we haven't had since Series 1, Episode 1. It's movie tie-ins! And they say that this is here to help us prepare for the large portion of blockbuster movies penetrating our lounge next week. <laughs> Steady odd. But he's not wrong, because back then, Christmas premieres is where it was at. Yes, mate. I miss that. I love having access to the movies that we have access to now and the way we have access to them. Legally or otherwise, don't care. It's just nice to be able to go, that movie's out of cinemas, on home video, boom, done. Yeah, and then it'll be on the BBC years later. But there was something special about those times, about waiting to find out what was going to be shown. Yeah. And this year is no different. Because here we are, Christmas 1992, Luke, I've been digging in the archives. I've pulled out the Radio Times from 1992. Do you want to know what we've got? I absolutely cannot wait because, okay, so peeling back the curtain, you told me ahead of time that you had done this research and I've, I've, been, whole, I've been biting my tongue. I'm so excited. I'm genuinely <laughs> so excited to find this out. 1992 Christmas. Oh, what a year on the BBC. We had the Queen's Speech at three o'clock, mm -hmm. followed by Indiana Jones and the last crusade oh that's perfect christmas fair isn't it because that's only just that's new as well it's a great christmas movie because you know what you've got harrison ford you've got sean connery it's a great movie because also there's nazi punching who doesn't like nazi punching apart from the nazis probably <laughs> unless they're into that sort of thing no kink shaming here what a way to start Christmas. 3.10. So that would be just after Christmas lunch. That when everyone is in a coma and they're just ready for a nice, no heavy thinking film to wash over them. Exactly. Pass me the quality straight. Over on ITV, 1984's Supergirl. Oh, no. They must have seen what the BBC got and went, nah, skip. Fuck <laughs> it, mate. <laughs> we got nothing. We got nothing on this. Supergirl, the quest for plot. <laughs> Actually, no, I'll be honest, it is a better movie than The Quest for Peace. I'll, I'll give it that. So anyway, that takes you through for a while. And then we've got all your standards. We've got your EastEnders, your Top of the Pops Christmas special, that was on there. Next movie premiere comes after the Victoria Wood Christmas special on BBC One. And it's one for the mums and dads. It's Shirley Valentine. My parents 
loved this movie. Yeah. They absolutely loved it. And I think I watched it a few years later because it was one of the rare times my parents actually made use of the video recorder. <laughs> and I thought it was actually quite a good movie as well. It was relatively harmless. It was it was nice late Christmas. The kids are in bed or playing with their toys or whatever. Mm. And you have your glass of sherry. You have some of the leftover mince pies. That's a nice mum and dad film. Oh, dude, we're recording this in like the middle of June and you just are making me want it to be Christmas. At this point in the year, we all fucking want it to be Christmas. So we could just go 2020, done, let's move on. <laughs> ITV had a few more films in their schedule though. 7.50pm, they premiered The Three Fugitives. Mm. I don't know anything about that film. I'm assuming no. it's The Three Stooges, but one of them's Harrison Ford. 10pm, <laughs> they were running... Youngblood, which despite it being six years old, was a premiere. Wow. It's been a hold off for a while. I mean, what can you tell me about Youngblood? Not a lot. There we go. Answered our own question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, the last Christmas movie of Christmas Day, because ITV does have one that starts at midnight, but I'm sorry, that's too late. That's not a Christmas Day movie. BBC One, 11.40pm. It's Charlton Heston in Earthquake. <gasps> lovely stuff that's that's a movie that's a great movie i was used to getting the airplanes on boxing day or easter sunday but oh i'm gutted because i know i didn't see this or i didn't mm. get a chance to see this i probably wouldn't have been looking that late in the schedule at that point certainly not on bbc one but i do love a good disaster movie i particularly love a good 70s disaster movie where all the effects have to be practical or miniature yes. yeah yeah absolutely and Christmas TV used to be great. <laughs> Damn you, Netflix, you ruined everything. No, nah, because at least we can easily get a burning Yule log no matter what time of year it is. <laughs> it's true. First up, the perennial Christmas fave gets shaken more starred with James Bond. It's not really based on any of the movies. And in truth, it's not really based on very much James Bond stuff at all. It's a sprawling, very colourful, parallax-scrolling platform shoot-up. I did enjoy James Bond to a certain extent. The trouble is, I've seen it all before. There are four levels, and once you've found the route for each, they really won't hold much challenge for you. And it shouldn't last more than a week. All right, so this is the movie tie-ins. Oh, yeah, games. <laughs> yes. So we've got some games to talk about. We've got Steve Jarrett from Total, Paul Rand from CBG, and Paul Mellerick from Gamer reviewing this week's titles. And first up on the docket, it's James Bond in The Jewel. Oh, Christ, can we go back to talking about movies? <laughs> Yes, the perennial Christmas favourite, Shaken Not Stirred. Uh, Steve says that it's not really based on anything and describes it as a scrolling shoot 'em up. Rand says that you can, you know, enjoyed it to a certain extent. Paul Rand, the one thing you can tell about him, and this kind of carries throughout Games Master and kind of like Games Master as a whole, really, they're not big on platformers. They don't really like them, and Rand clearly is one of those people. And to be honest, Paul Mellorick says that there's only four levels, and it shouldn't last you more than a week. Like, four levels is not great. It's not great, and it's not great for a game that has more in common with the Rolling Thunder series of games than it does with James Bond. Mm. Bizarrely, this is the official last outing of Timothy Dalton <laughs> as James Bond because his likeness was licensed, and this was yeah. a licensed game. This doesn't feel like part of the James Bond universe. Even if you go back to the later Roger Moore days, this is too bright and too cartoony. This is a James Bond Jr. game. Yes, yeah, it is. And they do shoehorn in some legacy villains in there. Odd Jobs in there, Jaws is in there. Now, we both played this game. How did you get on with it? 
I haven't played this game this week. However, so do you know, like, you know, you know, it's sort of like monthly box shipment things that you can get. Like you subscribe to something and you pay a certain fee every month and you get sent a box in the mail. That, that subscription service sort of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. There was one of those in the UK for retro games. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was called, but it only ran for a little while. Like I, I, I think I only got two boxes out of them before they effectively went bust. But the idea was you pay a subscription fee and then every month you get sent a box of retro games. And in my first box, I got this. I got James Bond in The Jewel because I'd, you know, they kind of say like, what sort of games do you like? They are very clear of being like, if you're expecting to get Final Fantasy VII, uh, don't. Like, you're not going to get, what you're going to get are like some fun games that are, you know, sort of tailored towards your specific, uh, like what you like and what you don't. And I had written that I like platforming games. And so this was the platforming game that I got. And I didn't get very far, I can tell you that much. I was going to say, I amazingly had a tick box for shit tie-ins. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, if they had that tick box, I would tick it, because I do like a tie-in game. The actual gameplay mechanic of this isn't terrible. It is, as I said, rolling thunder. It's that kind of game. However, when was the last time you ever saw James Bond leap eight feet into the air, tuck and roll, and then land on his feet. Yeah. He also shoots his gun really, really lazily. He doesn't even do the proper stance. He just kind of goes, eh. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't shoot from the hip. He just kind of goes, no, can't be bothered. Which really is this game in a nutshell, can't be bothered. Yeah, I think the 73% score that it gets is quite fair. Also, the music is annoying. Next up on the Super NES, gleaming helmets and 15 seconds to comply, it's Robocop 3. The gameplay is just like Hollywood. You've seen it all before a thousand times. It's not very original and it won't last you too long because it's too frustrating. It's ridiculously difficult. Ocean didn't want you to see the end of the game too soon and so they made it really, really hard. There's an awful lot of Robo, but it's not much cop. But I liked it a lot more than I liked Robocop 3. Gleaming helmets and 15 seconds to comply. Rand says that it's just like Hollywood. You've seen it all before. <laughs> I, well, I know, again, like they, they doesn't like platformers. Um, Paul Mellorick says that it's not original and you'll give up with frustrations. And Steve says, Ocean clearly didn't want you to see the game. It's too hard. There's an awful lot of Robo, not much cop, 61%. Now, I did play this game in preparation for this week, and yeah, I couldn't get off the first level. This game is <laughs> nails, and not because it's it's just badly made. I hated it. Which is a shame because there was another RoboCop 3 game made for the Amiga and the PC. And that was really good. That was well received. It was also, I think we talked about it previously. It was one of the first games released with copy protection. It came with yes. a dongle. Mm. That game was groundbreaking. This game was just broken. Yeah, it's balls, man. Really, really balls. Now, you've played RoboCop 3, the game. Yes. And you've seen... Robocop 3, the film. Yes. You can either watch Robocop 3 or play Robocop oh, 3, the game, for the same God. amount of time. You have to choose. Do you know what? Like, So one of our running jokes at university was that I had the Robocop trilogy uh, DVD collection, which was weird because it only had two films and a coaster. So, God, that's a tough... Dis I'm going to go with Robocop 3. No. Do you know what? I'm going to play Robocop, the game, because I don't have to play... How long do I have to play it for? You have to play it for the same length of time as Robocop 3, the movie. I think I'm going to stick with the game, though. Oh, that's so frustrating. 
Now I'm going to watch the movie. At least the movie's boring. You can make fun of the movie. You can have a Mystery Science yeah. Theatre 3000 time with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Why is he blue? <laughs> to be honest, if you were stuck in that movie, you'd be blue as well. <laughs> Finally, Julian Clary and Claire Rayner fondle their weapons and blow each other away in Universal Soldier. It's just a average shoot 'em up where you've got to find your route through each level whilst taking on the hordes of bad guys that come at you. Basically, Sorikin 2. It has a different main sprite, but the game's just the same. If you have the first Sorikin on Game Boy, then you should leave well alone. If you don't, it's well worth a look at. And last up, it's Universal Soldier on the Game Boy. Paul calls it a standard platformer, uh, with Steve explaining that it's basically Turrican 2. If you've got the first one, don't bother, but if you don't, it's worth a look at. And whoever was playing this game and recording the footage was very bad at it, died a lot, and got the game over screen. However, the game does get 80%. This gets 80% not because it's Universal Soldier, this gets 80% because it's Turrican 2. And I'd argue the reason the person playing it was pretty bad is because they couldn't see the screen because there was a camera pointing at it, because as we've <laughs> covered before, capturing footage from a Game Boy at this point was an arse. I love the Turrican series, so I did go back and play this, and I'll be honest, the Game Boy version, Universal Soldier or not, is not great. No. Suffers from motion blur. Yeah, it it was it was fine. Like I, I think if I'd if I'd got this at Christmas 1992, I would have played it and I would have enjoyed it because you know you've only got a certain amount of games that you can play. But in a sort of period of time when you uh, just switch on whatever emulation you've got and you've got access to ten thousand games, like at a minimum, yeah, it, it's hard to it's it's quite easy to just sort of like now nah, switch that off and go to something else. Absolutely, I might play the Mega Drive version a bit because I do want to get as far as seeing the giant Dolph Lundgren head. <laughs> yeah, where in the original game it was like a, a giant mechanical dragon, and they just went, okay, we'll take the dragon out and we'll make a giant version of Dolph Lundgren's head because that fits in with the film. Uh, as you and I have talked about on this podcast before, I do have a soft spot, a certain soft spot for JCVD movies. I really, really like Van Damme's. I, I, I just really like Van Damme's filmography. That's fair enough. Some of them I do like. I love Hard Target because mm -hmm. not only do you have Van Damme, you've got Wilford Brimley in it. Yeah. But no, I, I love some Van Damme movies. Now it's time for this week's feature. With Christmas rapidly approaching, there's an abundance of video game sweetmeats to pack out the most spacious of stockings. But alas and alack, there are also a few frozen dog dudes lurking in the snow. Here's Games Master's Top 5 Turkeys. Roaring in at number 5 on the Amiga, Road Fighter, a merry little jaunt through the world of dire driving games. Well, Van Damme does have some turkeys in his collection, and Games Master's hey. feature this week are the top 5 Christmas turkeys. So these are the games you don't want. And up first, it's Road Fighter. I really should have played some of these before we got here to see how bad they were. Road Fighter was okay as an arcade game. It wasn't anything great. I played it on the Amstrad CPC 464 back in the day. I couldn't tell you much about it but it's probably not great. And this is the Amiga version, and there were much better racing games out there on the Amiga. So maybe how good it is compares to what else is available on the platform. On the Amstrad, you were very limited by the technology. The Amiga could do a lot better, did do a lot better. We've seen it on this program. At four, the unbridled boredom of Altered Beast on the Mega Drive. Walk along, kick, walk along, kick. Walk along, kick. What an experience. Up next is a game that Sega absolutely love, but no one else does. It's Altered Beast, Unbridled Boredom. Walk along, kick. Walk along, kick. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, Altered Beast. It's it's funny how Altered Beast really is sort of like, it's seen as this arcade classic. 
but actually it is like i've never met someone who said do you know what i love i love altered beast altered beast to me is like the stand-up comedian that tells a joke delivers the punchline and it gets no reaction from the audience so rather than move on they just keep repeating the punchline yeah. as if on the fifth or sixth time suddenly the audience is going to go oh yeah okay okay that that's good that's good it does look good like they've got nice big sprites but yeah it's a good port as well actually if you're porting a turd you might end up with a turd <laughs> from carrots <laughs> At number three, Space Ace on the Amiga. Thrill to the graphics, celebrate the sound, and curse the total lack of Mr. Gameplay. Up next on the Amiga, it's Space Ace, marvel at the graphics and sound, but miss Mr. Gameplay. Uh, this is also the same as I think the SNES version of Space Ace is similar to this, and that's also absolutely toilet. I do find it ironic that they criticise the lack of gameplay, given that we've had Dragon's Lair 2 on this show which is essentially the same gameplay mechanic it's, it's it's funny really isn't it because like they took dragon slayer and they took space ace which are very very like they are of a type but then turn them into platform games but then turn them into quite rubbish platform games it's just trying to find a way to market the name yeah exactly like james bond the jewel in the runner-up spot terminator 2 it's so bad they couldn't even spell judgment correctly the worst film tie-in ever and it requires a swift hassle of vista to this one in at the number two spot it's terminator on the pc the worst version of the game and the one we got featured in series one a game so bad they can't spell the word judgment which i'd never <laughs> noticed before but that had me howl I only know that from uh, Kermode and Mayo's show because they always call it Junkman's Day. It is indeed Junkman Day. <laughs> A strom is coucing <laughs> Uh, so yeah a really really bad game it is a dog turd of a terminator 2 port which is why back in series one we were like why the hell is this the version that made it onto tv but the worst game ever to drag itself out of the primeval sludge is the footballing ineptness of jaleco goal totally unplayable makes mr taylor look a dead and if you only burn one game this christmas make it this one you're right it's a dog turd of a game but not as big a dog turd as this prime piece of white dog turd that is at number one. Yeah, Jaleco Gull, totally inept. If you burn one game this Christmas, make sure it's this one. Easier to get than a Yule Log at times, I suppose. Finally tonight, a month ago, we launched a huge competition to let you design your own game using the programming package Amos on the Amiga. Eurocrest Software made the once-in-a-lifetime offer to actually release the game if it's good enough. Here are some of the thousands of entries that are flooded in. Remember, if you can't quite complete the game, send in some design notes and artwork. If you think you're up to the standard, send your entries to Gamesmaster Designer Game Competition, PO Box 91, London E14, 9GT. Closing date is 1st of January 1993. And for a feature this week, it's Easy Amos, which we saw back in episode 6, I think it was, when we had Matthew on here. They show some of the examples that they've been sent in already, but they're asking for more. Basically, this is just a reminder for you to get your submissions in. Now, we already know the uh, the end point to this. I think we revealed it in the episode that the game was chosen. It did get released and actually went on to be a series of games but i appreciate that they're showing where they are now and how they're doing i loved seeing that very very defined style of children drawing that i think you yes, got back then and, totally and also what looked like a quite competent darts game going on in the background some shooters that look quite well rendered as well well it's time for our celebrity challenge so let's find out what we're playing from the games master back so soon for my second challenge I thought we might venture into new territory with baseball stars, too. Each batsman has three chances to make a clean hit of the ball. 
But don't be too brash. Bats are going to be both run out and caught out, and the team can only afford to lose three men before retiring. Both teams have a single innings to score as many runs as possible. Give it your best shot. Kind of like, again, a repeat from Series 1. We're playing Baseball Stars 2. Uh, single innings get as many runs as possible. Yeah, he says we're venturing into new territory, which makes me think he needs to defrag his floppy and get his RAM scrubbed because he clearly is having some memory issues. He played the original version of this back in Series 1 with that Neo Geo World Champion, Emily Cash. Yeah, much like the racing driver, Miff Moore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who, as some of you who follow us on Twitter will have seen, we have now confirmed that it was the Miff Moore that went on to become a television producer and, in fact, at this time, was dating Dominic Diamond. And Paul Coates also got in touch to say that it gets better. Um, Fanway Moore became head of programming at Paramount Comedy in 1995, during which time there was Dom and Kirk's Night of Plenty, hosted by Dominic Diamond. Please welcome... Jordi Günther, the German porn star. Jordi Günther, German porn star. Ah. That's my, that's my favorite me. Go and sit down, Jordi. Yeah. Uh, so, Jordi, in, huh? in case there's anybody, huh? <laughs> in case anyone is confused, what, huh? what exactly do you do? Yeah, Nixon Stanton Feston World Domination. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and who, who are your audience? Yeah, women, female, across the board. What kind of women is in your audience? <laughs> so we've got Jimmy Brown taking on EastEnders star Todd Carthy and Todd says that he is a gamer and he likes to play Italian 90 which is a different kind of sport and he might be a bit ropey on this one What is Todd Carthy doing here? <laughs> Who's looking after the market stall? What is going on? He should be on Alva Square because man alive this guy was a big, big star at this time Good to see you Hi Jimmy Right, now, Todd, I know you're a bit of a games player, so when you get a break from your hectic schedule, what, what do you like to play? I like to play the soccer one, the Italian 91. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a sport of a different kind. How are you on the old baseball? <sighs> a bit ropey. A bit ropey. Yeah, to say the least. Well, you're against a real games-playing expert here. Jamie, in a word, who's going to win tonight? Me, well, I hope anyway. All right, then. He was a mainstay of EastEnders, and also the character he was playing, Mark Fowler, was groundbreaking in British television. So... Todd, who had had a quite varied career up until this point, he was uh, Tucker Jenkins in Grange Hill and also in his own spin-off show, he was the second actor cast to play Mark Fowler, son of Pauline and Arthur Fowler. Mark Fowler became the first mainstream soap character to be diagnosed as HIV positive. Oh, really? This is my pub. I sell who drinks in here and who doesn't. Now get out of here before I have the law on you. Why are you doing this? What have I ever done to you? You know. No, I don't. You've got AIDS, Mark. And I won't have that sort of thing in my pub. I haven't got AIDS. Mark, let's go. I haven't got AIDS. You don't believe me, do you? You're meant to be my friends. Yet not one of you has got the guts to come up and ask me straight if I've got it or not. I haven't got hate. 
I'm HIV positive. I knew it. You don't know anything. I've got the virus, but I ain't got the disease. You're not going to catch it from eating food from my store or drinking from the same glass as me. Came in after there was an actual government impetus to spread the word, to raise awareness. Now, this was done a number of different ways by a number of different people. EastEnders were a little bit more sensible. They worked with the Terence Higgins Trust to make sure that they were telling the story in an accurate and respectful way. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in Albert Square reacted well to the character being diagnosed. In fact, it was kind of a hidden secret for a while. And when people found out it was used as blackmail, uh, people lost their jobs because of their association with Mark Fowler. It was a big, big point for a long, long time, especially because he ran the fruit and vegetable. So when it came out, people started to boycott it. They didn't just portray what it was like living as HIV positive. They portrayed the bigotry and the ill-informed responses that you would get from people. Yeah, totally. It worked as well. It worked and it raised awareness because in 1991, when Mark Fowler was revealed to be HIV positive, there was the biggest peak at that point in requests for testing in Britain. Wow. It made an impact. It was so successful that in a survey in 1999, it was found that most teenagers had garnered a lot of the information they knew about HIV from the soap. Hmm. Because pre-internet world, he was in the show for 13 years. Now, he did die off screen. And the way in which they wrote him out and the way in which he succumbed to the virus was not dealt with the best. Uh, the Terence Higgins Trust didn't have any major issues at the time with how the character was written out. Todd was kind of okay with it, although in retrospect, I think both parties have expressed that maybe they could have dealt with it better. But I don't think overall it undid the good they did in the years preceding it. They raised awareness, they educated, and hopefully on some level, as the characters in Albert Square became more accepting and more understanding, so would the general populace. There was still a long way to go, there is still a long way to go, but the work that they did cannot be understated. And taking me out to the ball game tonight is Vivian Nodge from GameZone. Welcome, Vivian. Hello again, Dominic. Now, Vivian, the scorers here, they got one innings each to score as many runs as they can. What tips can you give them? Right. As far as pitching is concerned, the idea is to vary them as much as possible. And as far as batting is concerned, the idea is to try and hit it with the meaty bit of your bat. OK, we'll be looking at both our competitors' meaty bits tonight. Well, Vivian Neach from GameZone is in the booth and she said you need to hit the ball with the meaty bit of your bat. And they'll be looking at the meaty bits of both our contestants today. Indeed. And also, don't forget to keep your pitching varied. Right. OK, so the short and skinny of this is that Jimmy is well better at this game than Todd is. And Jimmy, it gets a batter on second, but then gets a, a, a player out. He then gets hit after hit after hit after hit. He loads the bases, he gets a runner. He loads the bases, he gets a runner. He gets five runners through and then ends with a huge hit, but unfortunately gets caught out. And Todd, quite brilliantly then, throws it and gets his other runner out as well. So he gets two for the price of one. But... Jimmy did very, very well for his innings. Not only did he get five runs, he also lamped Todd's pitcher. <laughs> yeah. Because this is a Neo Geo game. And yeah. at one point, Todd's pitching beans the batter. He absolutely twats him with the ball. And the batter responds, as many might have actually done. He runs up to the mound and he 
punches him in the face. And I love that mechanic as well, because then the pitcher that Todd is playing with is less good and he gets tired quicker, which I think is a really fun mechanic. That must be quite an early example of stamina mechanics. I mean, admittedly, most of the time it's not because you've been punched in a sporting game, but it's valid. So at the end of his innings, Jamie has scored five. Now Todd has a monumentous task in front of him. If you want to find out if he does it, join us after the break. Halford's Christmas countdown has started. All Haynes manuals, just $7.99. All socket sets and toolboxes, 20% off. All car mats, 20% off. 20% off selected cycle safety helmets and 20% off selected leading brand bikes in our massive pre-Christmas cycle sale at Halford's till Christmas. Christmas night on BBC One with Fools and Horses. Get the radio. No, Elton John's just popped in. He's rehearsing in the kitchen. A bit of the unexpected from Dorian. I know. You're lost for words. May I suggest you shouldn't have Dorian. They're beautiful. We're not worth it. Men at mine, guess who? I'm Sally Cumbernauld. This is Martin Crossway. How are you? Chipping in already. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love him. At 9.50, Shirley Valentine. You're 42, not 22. You're just another stupid woman looking for adventure. And the time for adventures is over. Hello. Hello. Keep the hankies handy this Christmas night on One. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to 
Welcome back. I'm here with Vivian Noge from GameZone and we are witnessing an awesome baseball spectacle. Young Jimmy Brown has scored five runs in his innings. Now Todd Carty is at bat. He's got to score five to tie and six to win the challenge. Will he do it? Let's find out. Are our competitors ready? Back from the break and Todd is up now. So he needs five to tie or six to win. Long story short, he hits the ball once and doesn't get a single run. Goose eggs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he absolutely balls this one up completely. A very disappointing turn there from Todd Cardi. But you know what? It's actually not too dissimilar to the baseball challenge we had in Series 1. No, it's amazing how history repeats itself. <laughs> Of all the times when I thought, you know what, they could have given him a football game. I mean, we've seen a lot of football games and I'm a little bit tired of football games. But if you have someone that goes, I play a lot of Italian 90, for God's sake, give him a football game. Sensible soccer. Sensible soccer or even Italian 90. It's only yeah. two and a half years out of date, whatever. But yeah, biffs it, doesn't get a single run. The challenge is over very quickly coming back from the ad break. Yeah, it's wild how quick it is, actually. Five luck, Todd. Hello, All right. Hello, well done, Jimmy. Now, Todd, commiserations. What, what went wrong? I mean, your pitching was quite good at the start. Yeah, it was quite good at the start. I just lost it towards the end. Tiredness, I think. My pitches were getting a little bit tired. You got that hit in the face and that was indeed, it, wasn't it? Indeed, indeed. And this, you know, hit him, I hit you. You came running for me, didn't you? You came running for me. <laughs> he didn't give you a chance. Now, Jimmy, you won by quite a lot, but he, he did quite well, though, Todd, didn't he? Yeah, he did brilliant. So what was, what was the difference between the two teams in the end? What really won it for you? Well, I think that um, I got the runs that counted and he was just unlucky. OK, then. Well, you're both very, very sporting indeed. Uh, Todd says that he got tired by the end there. And Jamie, bless his heart, Jamie says, yeah, he did brilliant. No, he didn't, Jamie. Don't lie to him. There's being nice and then there's being a condescending little dick and it kind of airs on the second side. <laughs> I thought he was trying to be a nice kid. I'm sure he's trying to be nice, but really, even people who weren't even watching the show could have told that Todd was hopeless at this game. <laughs> yeah. And I like the fact that he said that, you know, at the end of the day, I got the runs that counted. Mate, you got the only runs. <laughs> That'd be Auntie Marisha's cooking again. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. Welcome to the helipad for another batch of bonding. How can I be of assistance? In the Super Mario world, in the Valley of Bowser 4, I can see the key, but I can't get to it. Can you help me? Remember, what the hand can't reach, the tongue can touch. Simply guide Yoshi as close to the key as possible before penetrating this seemingly impervious wall with his probing proboscis. Thank you, Games Master. I'll try it out. So here's a surprise for you. Our first kid is stuck on Super Mario World. On Valley of Bowser 4, he can see that key, but he cannot get to it. Games Master gives him the advice what the hand can't reach, the tongue can. Basically, use Yoshi to get it. Yeah, donkey punch Yoshi, the tongue comes out, grabs the key, that's it. Yeah. Also, that may be the filthiest thing that Games Master has ever said. <laughs> <laughs> on Star Wars, on the NES, how do you get past the tractor beam? at the end of the Death Star. 
The secret on this mission is to rely upon that roguish rebel, Han Solo. But to survive, you will also need to avoid a battery of lacerating lasers by standing directly beneath the crystal. From this position of safety, embark upon a series of hit-and-run attacks against the crystal. Return to the safe zone with each attack, and you'll eventually destroy the tractor beam. Got it? Yes, thanks. Our second kid is stuck on Star Wars on the NES. How do you get past the tractor beam at the end of the Death Star? Games Master tells him to use that roguish rebel Han Solo, duck and weave around the lasers and shoot the thing. This is a great game and it's a late entry for the NES because here we are, the Super Nintendo's on the market, it's taking off. This game came out in November 91 in Japan and was only released over here in the UK in March of 1992 and of course would soon be followed by Super Star Wars on the Super NES also an absolute blinder of a game I love these Star Wars games I absolutely love them they were great platformers they embodied the movies well they were really fun entertaining games and man alive it's the first time i think i'd seen a lightsaber in a game and it felt like you were wielding a lightsaber they got the motion blur and the flashing and they just they nailed it i didn't have it for the nez but i did have star wars on the game boy and it's it's the same game just monochromatic and it is wicked it's tough as hell at times but it's really really good and i there are certain moments of it that i i have stuck in my head very vividly and that is you know going through the cantina having to go to the specific hangar to go find han solo the one they you know they mentioned in the movie and also reading a magazine that tells you the best way to get through the asteroid field um, from when they you know they blow up alderan is to just go into the bottom left hand corner and stay there and all of the asteroids miss you. Huh. I'm Dungeon Master on the Amiga. I've fought my way through all the monsters, but I'm stuck on Lord Chaos. Is there any special way to kill him? There is indeed. The only weapon that is effective against Lord Chaos is Firestaff. You can forget about everything else. The staff has numerous powers that together will defeat Chaos. First, use the Fux Cage to surround him with shimmering yellow fields. Then cast a field right on top of him to immobilize him. Now use the fuse, and Lord Chaos will be banished forever. Thanks very much, Games Master. And our third and final kid is stuck on Dungeon Master on the Amiga. He can't beat Lord Chaos. You need to use the Fire Start. First, use the Flux Cage to surround him, then cast Fuse to defeat him. So Dungeon Master, despite its name, is not based on Dungeons & Dragons, because its, its original title was Crystal Dragon. However, the game engine would become the basis for D&D games like Eye of the Beholder. And the game itself was inspired by early Ultima titles. However... Origin saw what they were doing and went, holy sh**, this is really good. And so then in itself inspired future Ultima titles. So it again, it all came around. And while being competitors for the same market, it showed how one developer's work inspired by another developer would then make that developer up their game. It's why competition is important. Well, it's time for our final challenge of the night, and we're not going to go over to Chrome Dome for it. It's back over to Dominic Diamond. Now it's time for our final challenge, and it's the second semi-final in our special Games Masters Street Fighter 2 Magazine Challenge. If you remember last week, we invited four multi-format magazines to nominate their champion on Street Fighter 2. 
Last week, Paul Lakin from GameZone was the winner. This week, please welcome Greg Watson from CNVG and Gary Harrod from Mean Machines. It's the second semi-final in our multi-format magazine Street Fighter 2 Challenge. Greg Watson from CBG and Gary Harrod from Mean Machines are this week's players. Now, you kind of gave me the hint the other week that this was going to be a good one. I mean, in fairness... I had already watched the episode, so I knew that. But, oh <laughs> God, this is an escalation up from last week's. Isn't it just? Last week's, we got a couple of special moves, a couple of throws. This one, they're firing right out of the gate because we've got two projectile-based opponents. Welcome, Gary. Now, Greg, what character have you chosen tonight? I've chosen Ryu. And why have you chosen him? Well, it's got a nice special, um, a nice ride, you know, different moves, close combat and for distance. And also as uh, my speciality was the Dragon Punch, which I thought I'd be using to defeat Gary today. Okay then, Gary. There's all these rumours floating about that you're actually Street Fighter II world champion. Is there any truth in that? Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Greg's going to have a fight on his hands. What character have you chosen? I've chosen Guile today. And what, what are we going to see from Guile? What's so special about him? Um, well, some sonic booms, some sort of kicks, just... Uh -huh. Wrecking, basically. Okay, then, if you'd like to assume your game's playing positions, we'll get ready to start. Greg has chosen Ryu. Gary, who is apparently Street Fighter 2 world champion? Yeah, I did some research. I couldn't find anything about that. Must have won it at the same place they did the Neo Geo Baseball World Championship. <laughs> but anyway, he's chosen Guile. And, ooh, this, this is such a great face-off of two characters. It's not quite Ryu Ken for the classic, but it's two great characters that are quite evenly matched. I found a, uh, a Europress article about meme machines while I was trying to find out about Gary Harrod's claim to being the Street Fighter 2 world champion. And I, I thought I'd just read out this little bit here from Jazz Rignall because it ties into all of this talking about the Mean Machine's office. The office was pretty damn rank, especially the photography and game room. Lots of mystery stains on the carpet and rubbish everywhere. Every so often we'd have a cleanup, but it was pretty tough keeping the office in any kind of order because we were working so hard all the time and received bags of mail every day. Still, even though it was a bit of a pigsty, it was a great place to work, assuming you could put up with the death metal and gangster rap that Gary Harrod played endlessly on his Ghetto Blaster. Now that would be considered a hostile workplace. <laughs> so yeah, so that's who we've got playing this today. And back for more punishment this week is Nintendo Hotline's Keith Pullen. Welcome back, Keith. Thanks, good to be back. Okay, now Keith, uh, our competitors at the start, they were talking about Sonic Booms, Dragon Punches. For the benefit of people at home who don't know the game so well, what are some of these moves? Hmm. The Dragon Punch is a very good defensive move. If Gal attacks from above... Um, Ryo can use that then. It calls forth the power of a dragon. Right. Almost unstoppable then. Uh -huh. And what about the sonic boom of Guile's? Sonic boom. Um, if the timing's right on that one, that's a very good uh, offensive weapon that a sort of shot of fire will come out and burn Ryo. So. And over on commentary, we've got Keith Pullen from Nintendo Power Hotline. As you mentioned earlier, our boy Keith. Yes, as I've written here on my notes, a boring f*** that he is. Uh, he's back once again, uh, describing more of those moves for the people that might not know. They even show a clip of the Sonic Boom. It's just, it's so fascinating to watch these shows from this period of time where Street Fighter 2 is the new thing and not everyone will have seen Street Fighter 2 in action. So you have to be really clear and explain to people what a dragon punch is, what special moves are. Dominic Diamond, every single time they have one of these fighting games, be like, okay, up top, you've got health bars. They're yellow at the moment, but if they go all the way down to red, that's when the fight is over. This is, this is a brave new world, 
And also, this is one of the first time these games are becoming popularised outside of the arcade. So yeah, as you alluded to earlier, these two are way better than our players from last week. They both just start throwing Hadoukens and throwing those sonic booms at each other. But Gary is dominating this as Gal absolutely destroys Greg. Greg got basically just one. It was nearly a perfect round. I mean, he'd have been obnoxious over it, but that would have been awesome. Uh, we get into the second round, and once again, Gary is doing really, really well, catches him with a backbreaker. Greg makes a really good comeback. And I did think, man, we're going to get down to a third round here. But no, Gary just throws out that medium punch, knocks him out of the air. An easy win, it must be said. Yeah, it was a more spectacular bout, but it was over a lot more quickly. I mean, that first round was 25 seconds and done. Yeah. Well, Greg, I think Gary might have caught you on and off there, but you made a good comeback at the end there. What, what went wrong for you? Uh, it just all went wrong for me, don't it? You know, the, the full stars are with me today. I think I had too many pints last night. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was mutilated. It was a sad spectacle for, for me today. <laughs> well, you, you did say you were the world champion, Gary. Um, this, that didn't seem a problem to you? Uh, no, not much. Um, early starts in both rounds put me ahead, so... Uh -huh. Okay, so you're going to meet Paul Lakin from Gameson in the final. How do you feel about that? All right. Yeah, will it be a problem to you? Uh, no, I don't think so. And Greg says as much in the post-match interview, says it all went wrong for him. The force just wasn't with him and he'd had too many pints the previous night. Sounds accurate. Uh, yeah, I love him calling it a sad spectacle. However, while it wasn't a very evenly matched fight, it did look more spectacular than any Street Fighter bout we've had up until this point. Absolutely. I'm excited for the final next week. Yeah, me too, man. And Gary talks about this. He said that this round wasn't much trouble for him. He's all right about the final. He doesn't think Paul's going to be too much of a problem. I'm really, really excited to see him versus Paul in the uh, the Christmas special that we've got coming up next week. I am looking forward to doing a Christmas in June. <laughs> so, Mean Machine's Gary Harrod leaps victoriously off into the sunset, but he will return in next week's final against GameZone's Paul Lakin. In the meantime, we're off for some braised calamari and a piquant sauce. And be sure to join us in seven days. Good night. And we've got braised calamari and a pecan sauce on the menu tonight, which in my meat eating days would have been right up my alley because I bloody love calamari. Never had it. It's probably wise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be getting the runs that count. <laughs> So that is this week's episode of Games Master Series 2, Episode 12. We're basically at the halfway point now. I think next week's episode is the midpoint of Series 2. Uh, what did you make of this week's one? Again, this wasn't a spectacular episode, but it was a fun enough episode. That first challenge, the challenger was more entertaining than the challenge itself. Yeah. The celebrity challenge, love Todd Carty. Absolutely love him. Not a great challenge. Street Fighter, though, oh, Chef's kiss. That was lovely. That was a nice way to wrap up the episode. So I'm going to go a little bit above last week's score. Last week I went 75%. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go 77 no, Okay, very nice. Yeah, I'm on a very similar boat to you. I thought I really enjoyed the first challenge for Kelly, basically. I thought he was such a wonderful guest and I loved the interplay between him and Dominic and Jeremy. But the celebrity challenge was a bit of a... let. The game looks really fun. It looks really smart and everything, but it was just a shame that Todd completely biffs it right at the start. And yeah, the Street Fighter 2 challenge was a lot of fun, but overall it wasn't like a big blow away episode so i'm gonna be um in a similar ballpark to you actually i'm gonna do you know what? i'm actually gonna give it the exact same score i'm gonna give it 77 77 
okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's not a nice. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that is all we've got time for on this edition of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us on the old social media channels at Under Console Pod on Twitter, under.console on Instagram, and you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash Under Console Pod and get next week's show a week early and ad free. And if you want to go a little bit higher, get a little bit of merch, there's a £10 level. For that, you get our gratitude, you get the episodes a week early and ad-free, and you get a Patreon-exclusive variant of our first under-consultation mug. You'll get some stickers, you'll get some badges, you'll get some sweeties, and a discount code of our upcoming first T-shirt. Very, very nice. That sounds like a very lovely Christmas present to get in the middle of June. Why not? I think we could all do with the boost right now. <laughs> yeah. Also, you can come and join us over on our Discord we don't know what we're doing there because we're old, but it's building into a nice little community with a nice little group of people where we talk about the episode, talk about old games, and who knows what else will come up. And we will see you in seven days' time for the finale of the Street Fighter 2 Magazine Challenge. Get the quality streets at the ready. It's the Christmas special. Woohoo! My bells will be jingling. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Good night. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.